0: It's so great to have you today. If you're here at this online for the first time, my name is Jason Wooliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads. So glad that you have joined us for this online service, and I just am praying that you will feel the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever you are today as we look at God's word together and that you will hear the voice of your heavenly father speaking to you through his word. This is week two in this fall message series practical where we are going section by section through the New Testament letter of James. Last week we looked at just the very first verse and we gave some background information on who the author of this letter is, and it is the half-brother of Jesus who converted to faith in Jesus after the resurrection of Jesus when Jesus appeared to him. Today we're looking at verses 2 through 18. I'm going to read them to you before we pray. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. If flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with your power and your love. Fall afresh upon every person, no matter where they are, no matter who they are. Intersect with us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if God were appear, would appear to you tonight and would ask you to ask him for anything and he would grant it to you, what would you ask for? You didn't have a day to decide right then and right there. You had to make one request. What would you ask for? Would you ask for health for yourself or for a loved one? Would you ask God to pay off your mortgage or erase your debt? Would you ask God to bring someone back who had passed away? What would your request be? Well, we read in the Old Testament that about 970 BC, God appeared to the newly appointed third king of Israel, Solomon, the son of David. And God said to Solomon at the beginning of his reign, ask me for anything and I will give it to you. And Solomon famously and humbly asked God for wisdom. What Solomon wanted more than anything was the wisdom to do his job well and to serve God and the people well. He knew that he was in over his head and he needed God's help. Well, God was so pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom to serve faithfully rather than wealth or possessions or honor or victory over his enemies that God said, I will definitely give you wisdom and I'm going to give you all of those other things as well. Solomon went on to write most of the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 7, he says to his own offspring, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. In the book of Proverbs and other places, we see that God is very, very passionate about his people living wisely and also that God loves to give us wisdom when we ask for it. He has a treasure of wisdom to give those who seek it. There are five books in the Bible that are sometimes classified as wisdom literature in the Old Testament. You've got Job, parts of the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And then in the New Testament, the book of James really seems like a piece of wisdom literature. It very much resonates with the Old Testament wisdom literature. And so after James introduces himself and says who he's writing to, we then get five chapters of wisdom. And it seems almost as if it's jumping from proverb to proverb, topic to topic. But that's characteristic of Jewish wisdom literature. And so although it might seem strange to us, it would have not seemed strange to the hearers of this letter and the readers of it in the first century. And so in the opening section of James, he's hammering away at the kind of perceptions that we need to have if we want to live wisely. In order for us to live correctly, we need to see things correctly. If we don't perceive things the right way, we won't live and act the right way. So as we go through this section, I'm going to give a summarizing statement for each subsection, which shares an essential perception that James would have us adopt so that we can live according to God's wisdom. Number one is this. James says that hard things are good things if your goals are right. He says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith and faithfulness, could be translated the way, produces steadfastness. Now this word steadfastness, it can also be translated as endurance, perseverance. It's the Greek word hupomene, which means the ability to remain under pressure to keep going under intense pressure. He says this is developed as your faith is tested. And he says, let this steadfastness, this endurance, have its full effect in your life, that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In this section, James is sharing how Christians should perceive difficulties differently than non-believers do. We live in a world filled with people who are pursuing light, light, or extreme hedonism. That is, their main concerns are the pursuit of comfort, pleasure, and ease. From this point of view, any setback that happens in life is a source of frustration and a cause of anger and resentment. For Christians, our main goals are not comfort, ease, and pleasure. For Christians, our main goals are becoming... More and more like Jesus in character and doing what Jesus would have us do in this world. Jesus said in Matthew 5 48, You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't mean that we need to be perfect in order to be forgiven by God and accepted by faith into God's eternal family. He's saying after we've accepted God's salvation and forgiveness by faith, we should strive to work out all the bugs in our character and learn to be like Christ. And according to scripture, the way we train ourselves in Christ-like character is to face challenges, and in those challenges, to choose godly virtues in the midst of them. And so, in the challenge that you're in right now, you may need more patience, Well, God doesn't just give you patience to have on reserve for a challenge. You go into a challenge, and that's where you develop the muscles of patience. You need to develop the muscle of love that extends even to your adversaries and difficult people. Well, God doesn't just give you a big reservoir of love for your enemies that you can apply when you need it. No, it's being in situations when you're dealing with unlovely people that you choose to love and you develop the muscle of love. And so as we train ourselves in this gymnasium of life, we become more like Christ, more fit for our eternal home, and more able to do the work that Christ would have us to do. And so James says, when trials comes of various kinds, rejoice. This is an opportunity for you to work out those character defects and become more like Christ. So congratulations. Whatever you're going through right now, This is the opportunity for you to use prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to become the person that you know you want to become and need to become by God's grace. Number two, James says, wisdom is always available if you sincerely seek it. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now this passage echoes much of the Old Testament wisdom literature and also the story of Solomon. If a person sincerely is seeking to know how to live the way God wants them to live, God will unequivocally give them the missing wisdom that they need to live that way. But the problem is, James says many people are double-minded. That means they kind of want to live God's way, but they also really want to live according to the values of this world. They really want comfort, ease, and pleasure, and they really would like God to just help them achieve those goals. And so James says that such a person is unstable. They're not fully committed one way or the other, and they really shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. If someone is just dabbling in Christianity, they'll never really know the full power that God gives us to live a godly life. They'll never even taste the good life. And so this passage reminds us if we're following Jesus with single mindedness and with full commitment, we should ask and receive God's wisdom and grow in wisdom. And if we're not, we should ask ourselves, why aren't we? Why are we living? Why are we choosing this double-minded life where we have one foot in the values of this world and one foot in the camp of Jesus and the kingdom? He would say, get off the fence. You're not getting the benefit of either. Number three, James says that having less is of great strength spiritual advantage. Verse 9, let the lowly or the poor brother boast in his exaltation that is being lifted up and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is fully in line with the teachings of his big brother Jesus when it comes to talking about the pitfalls of wealth and the values of living simply and relying on God. Jesus said, It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He said, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God in wealth. The Apostle Paul, we looked at what he said about this a few weeks ago. He said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, the gist of what James says in his letter, it's that believers with less material possessions are in a better place because having less causes them to rely on God more. And the more any person is relying on God day by day, the more they'll see God and the more they'll experience God and the more they'll experience the abundant life and the contentment that comes directly from God. The rich person, on the other hand, relies on himself. He's made a lot of money. He's stored up a lot of money. So that money, that wealth, will absolutely be taken away from him at death. And because in this life, he never felt a need for God. He didn't seek God and he didn't rely on God since he didn't seek God and find God in this life he'll enter into an eternity without having been reconciled to God, which is the worst of all predicaments. So the lesson, the lesson for each of us is to, relearn to is to learn to rely on God no matter how much we have and to pursue the peace and the contentment that only God can give us. And if we have more than we need, to not store it up and just keep it for ourselves, our own pleasure, comfort, or leisure, but to put it into good use for the kingdom of God, to help those who don't have what they need to live, to be generous and willing to share and to advance God's purposes. Number four, James says that you must finish the race to get the prize. He says in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The Greek word translated crown here is the word Stephanos, and it refers to the the wreath that a victor would get when they beat everyone else in a race or a competition In ancient times. You've probably all seen those figures or those cartoons of ancient people in their toga robes and their wreath around their head, a Stephanos. Now, in ancient times, in a competition, only the winner would get this crown. But James says that everyone who follows Jesus through trials all the way to the end will get the crown of life. And the crown of life is a metaphor for eternal life. But in order to receive that crown, James says. We have to follow Jesus faithfully throughout all the trials of life. If we believe only for a short time and fall away, we drop out of the race. It could mean that we never truly believed, or it could mean that we started pursuing other things. We got led away, and we shipwrecked whatever faith we had. But Jesus would say the same thing in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Such an important reminder for all of us. Our faith will be tested as we encounter trials in life. It will also be tested when we have an abundance of good things and we don't need to rely upon God. Let us all be assured that everyone who follows Jesus faithfully to the end will inherit eternal life. Those who drop out should be warned they need to get back in the race and start running again. Keep pursuing Jesus all the way to the end. Number five, James says that God never leads us toward bad things. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For not God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When our faith is stretched through trials and difficulties, often our willpower feels weakened. And that can make us more susceptible to temptation than falling into sin. And often people, when they fall into temptation or sin, the first line of defense is to try to find someone else or something else to blame. And sometimes people even try to pin it on God. Now this text harkens back the first human beings and the first human sin. God told Adam and Eve when he first created them that they were free to eat from any of the fruit of the trees in the garden. For the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they should not eat. For when they ate it, they would introduce death and suffering into this world. Well, they ate it. So God went to confront them. And he asked, Adam, why did you do this? Why did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? And Adam said, whoa 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 why are you looking at me that woman she's the one that gave me the fruit to eat and by the way she's the one that you put here in the garden in other words hey it's definitely not my fault it is definitely her fault and let's face it God it's kind of your fault because you put her here James says never flies that never works Never blame God for the temptation that you experience or the sin you fall into. Temptation comes from the cravings and desires that already lie within us and are activated under stress and by what's going on around us. God has no interest in us sinning. He has interest in our holiness and our obedience and our Christ-like character in service God himself finds evil deplorable. He is not tempted by it, and he never tempts anyone. And so this means that growth in Christ-like character will require all of us to accept responsibility for our actions, never blaming God, but relying on God through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. And when we fall to confess, get back up, and keep working with God and the Holy Spirit, to overcome. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, so you may be able to endure it. Finally, he says, although God never gives us bad things, God is the giver of every good thing. The section ends with these famous words in verse 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father who created the heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The world may change, but God is consistent in character. He is steady. He is unchanging. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. When things are going bad, the deception that we can fall into is thinking that God is the cause. God has either left us hanging, or God created the bad things, or God isn't real. When things are going well, the deception we can fall into is thinking that we're the cause of all the good things, or forgetting God. Both are errors. James says God gets none of the blame and all of the credit when things go well. So the universe that James portrays is one where our all-powerful God is always giving life and wisdom and assistance to those who turn toward him. And he gives us so many things without asking. He gives us life, breath, the ability to learn and make a living, not because we deserved it, but because he is good, he is a good God, the creator God who is merciful, even to those who are not just. And then he also, when we were dead in our sins, brought us forth into new life and eternal life through the preaching of the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died and rose for our salvation. When we heard it and we believed, he made us born again. He forgave our sins, adopted us into his family, and gave us the Holy Spirit of God, giving us the power to become who we were created to become and to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine. So friends, let me give some closing questions to help you process all of these nuggets of wisdom from this opening section of James. Number one, What challenge are you facing right now, and what Christian virtue is God calling you to develop in the midst of it? Do you need patience? Do you need kindness? Do you need love? Do you need joy? Well, this is the season to develop it. You don't develop it in the off season, you develop it in the midst of the game. When you're tested and challenged, to exhibit the exact opposite quality. With your decision and the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where you develop that quality. What is God calling you to develop? You can do it, you can develop that muscle, and you'll be stronger for the rest of your life. Number two, would you call yourself double-minded or fully committed to Christ? If you're double-minded, having one foot out of the kingdom and one foot in the kingdom, what's keeping you from going all in? Maybe today is the day that you decide to stop playing games and to devote yourself fully and surrender yourself fully to Jesus Christ as Lord, as James did, identifying himself as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, is there any area where you have been blaming God rather than accepting responsibility? And if so, how can you remedy that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the Father who created the heavenly lights and also the one who gives us all good things. God, help us to be humble and grateful. Help us to be fully devoted to you. Help us to see what we're currently going through as an opportunity to become who we deep inside always knew we were created to become. Rain down your spirit upon all of us. Water us with the strength of heaven today as we pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.